0: Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when
1: information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Line takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts.
2: From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, yes, one week is complete as state lawmakers begin another legislative session. We'll hear what took place at the state capitol in just a moment. Plus, there will be many events and celebrations taking place this weekend ahead of the official Martin Luther King Jr. national holiday on Monday. Today, we'll revisit a conversation regarding Dr. King, the civil rights movement, and songs of legendary, the legendary,
3: Curtis Mayfield. It's from 2018 with his widow, Athelia Mayfield. It was a time that, I guess as I look back to it, I get memories of joy and pain. Mm Mm-hmm. Because things were so different there uh, back into that time, it was nothing to be around and young, and you know, or maybe you were just in the circle that you uh, you knew them all.
2: And later in the program, a current airline pilot is leading an organization with the mission to train more black youth as pilots. All that's coming up, but first this, we got to talk about this. At this time, there are two confirmed fatalities related to Thursday's deadly storms and, orta- and tor- tornadoes. You'll hear from Governor Brian Kemp in just a moment. And as cleanup is underway throughout the state, Ashley Long is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Peachtree City. She says teams have been surveying for signs of severe wind and tornado damage throughout the state.
4: We currently have three teams out surveying damage right now They have found tornado damage in Troop County, Merriweather County, Pike County, Balding County, and uh, possibly some in Butts as well as Newton County.
2: Long says it's not uncommon this time of year due to the effects of a cold front moving through the south.
4: When we have situations like we did yesterday where we have warm gulf moisture being pushed into uh, the area, you can have a cold front swings through and brings severe weather as that's passing through. But then behind that, as temperatures drop, we can see some winter-like precipitation.
2: This same cold front is forecasted to bring clearer skies but cooler temperatures this weekend.
4: We'll be back to highs in the 40s and 50s with low temperatures in the upper 20s to 30s over the weekend and then otherwise, we'll be seeing a little bit of cloud coverage today, but that should be clearing out and we should be experiencing more widespread, partly cloudy skies for the remainder of the weekend.
2: In a press conference earlier today, Governor Brian Kemp says yesterday's powerful storms, yes, left statewide damage and tragically some devastating outcomes.
5: Unfortunately, it's been a tragic night and morning in our state. We know we've lost two fatalities. We can confirm one of those is a state employee. That was responding to storm damage. We'll have more details on that later in the day. And then, obviously, uh, the tragic loss of something has been reported a five year old uh, that was killed by a falling tree on a vehicle.
2: The state's Emergency Management Agency, or GEMA, is confirming several tornadoes across Georgia, destroying homes and businesses, and forcing some children to shelter overnight at their school. We can report that they've been safely reunited reunited with their families. James Stallings is the GEMA director.
1: Yesterday around 3 o'clock we saw our first rotation develop on radar in Troop County. From that point all afternoon we continue to see rotations develop. We have four confirmed tornado tracks as of right now in our state. Those areas hardest hit, uh, as NWS described it as a A rapidly intense storm hits Spalding County. So if you're in that area today, we would ask you, stay where you are. There are teams that are still trying to cut through the debris. Uh, We have a lot of roads that are still inaccessible. We want to make sure our power companies and our cut teams can get there
2: Director Stalling stressed that yesterday's fatalities were a result of falling debris, and he's warning Georges there's still a risk after the storm. Kemp, along with Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones and House Speaker John Burns, will take a helicopter flight to assess the damage. Yes, there were downed trees that knocked out power to tens of thousands of residents in and around the metro area, and planes were delayed more than an hour at Hartsville. Jackson International Airport. Now, Metro Atlanta also saw widespread damage in about an hour south of the city. There was a twister in LaGrange near the Alabama border, which also caused severe damage. Metro Atlanta school districts are keeping kids at home today because of damages from the severe storm that battered our area. Clayton and Henry County Public Schools are doing virtual learning today. Atlanta Public Schools and Fulton County Schools are keeping kids in classes as usual, but they're canceling all after-school activities Including sports. Now, in some other news, open enrollment ends this weekend for coverage throughout the health for the healthcare.gov marketplace. Just made our reports. Georgia signups this year are already outpacing last year's total enrollment. More than 700,000 Georgians currently have health insurance through the Affordable Care Act, known as Obamacare.
0: And during the ongoing open enrollment period this year, almost 850,000 people have already signed up. Some analysts point to Biden administration changes in effect that could be driving the increases. They include more financial assistance to make health premiums more affordable and a number of plans that cost $10 or less for consumers who qualify. The nonpartisan group Georgians for a Healthy Future estimates more than 200,000 working people in the state now qualify for the discounts. For health insurance beginning February 1st, the deadline to
2: sign up is January 15th. Jess Mador, WABE News. And this is Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Support for
0: WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org.
2: And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As mentioned, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp declared a state of emergency due to those horrific storms and tornado activity from yesterday. Now this cap's a very busy week for the governor as he was officially sworn in for a second term. So week one of this legislative session is over. Let's get a recap from our WABE politics team. Sam Greenglass decided to hang out with me in the studio and Raul Bali was being lazy and he's out at the state capitol. Hey Rose,
6: (laughs) happy Friday.
2: (laughs) Happy Friday. But listen Raul, we have to begin with this. Uh, yesterday's storms and and is there an update from the governor or or any of the the agencies in terms of yesterday's severe weather
1: so i want to add a couple of things Mm -hmm. you you had a great news brief there covering a lot of things actually just moments ago uh, across the street from the state capitol the state of georgia helicopter actually just landed uh that was the helicopter with governor brian kemp and lieutenant governor burt jones Um, and they headed south to go look at the damage they actually just tweeted out a picture Mm -hmm uh and it's a picture of a hobby lobby that has a massive hole in its roof. It looks like it was punched from the sky. Mm-hmm. Uh maybe a third of the roof is gone. So uh that was just one of the pictures uh that they tweeted out from from their helic uh from their helicopter tour. They did not land um, because there's still a lot going on. Mm-hmm. They just flew down and and, and and flew back. Look, the top issue still is debris that is blocking roads and down power lines. I just talked to uh, state Representative Clint Crowe and one of the examples he gave was there's 50 to 60 houses in Butts County that are cut off. Like you can't, they can't be accessed right now. Hmm. So that's kind of what they're dealing with is the debris and the down power lines. And then one additional detail, that state of Georgia employee uh, that was killed, it was a Georgia DOT employee who was responding to storm damage. Wow. Um, so that's, and the other thing is, we don't have a number yet, but a lot of people were injured. A lot of people ended up going to the hospital because of flying debris, and we don't even have a full number on that
2: yet. And Raul, remind our listeners when the governor issues a state of emergency for something like that, what does that entail?
1: Well, the the key is it accesses state resources. It, it's It's an all-hands-on-deck approach you know so that brings in for example they're using DNR wardens they're using uh, the Georgia forestry people to go <laughs> help with whether it's cutting down trees or going to help people it brings in any and all resources that the state can access obviously the state patrol the DOT they can bring resources from other parts of the state that weren't affected by the storms it really is about bringing in resources It also waives certain rules uh, for example with truck weights and other things that help support uh, you know, helping with the recovery efforts. And, you know,
2: what a week for the governor and and, and everyone as the lawmakers came back to the gold dome. I'm going to switch to uh, Sam for a moment because it was a slow start to the week as because of the Bulldogs winning the national championship. Um, but just for our listeners, what were those highlights for the first week
6: of this session? So, Monday did start at the Capitol where you had new lawmakers being sworn in. You've got new leadership at the top of both chambers Mm -hmm. under the Gold Dome. You know, Burt Jones taking over as lieutenant governor and president of the Senate, John Burns uh, filling the speaker's chair over in the House. But then most of the rest of the action this week was actually off of the Capitol grounds. Uh, We had the exit issues, you know, this big business conference that happens every year that Mm -hmm. kicks off the session. Where the governor speaks and announces some of his priorities. And then on Thursday, we had the pomp and circumstance of the inauguration for Governor Kemp's second term. And he gave a big speech where we kind of start to see the profile he's trying to cut for himself as he goes into the second term.
2: What is that profile you think? I'll ask you and then I'll get roll.
6: Well, I think it is what we started to see Kemp positioning himself as as we got to the end of his reelection campaign, as he Mm -hmm. began to turn to the general. As this guy who's both been able to buck some elements of his party, I'm thinking former President Donald Trump and the fallout after 2020, but also someone who's willing to buck liberals and Democrats, too. Uh, (laughs) He made this Point in his speech talking about ignoring what's happening on the cocktail circuit and, and uh, on cable news and charting his own path. Mm-hmm. That's something that helped him win a lot of these moderate, suburban swing voters, whatever we call them, in the last election. And I think that's kind of the profile, that the brand that he's trying to carve out for himself as he heads into the second term.
1: Roe, what do you think? You know, there's this whole conversation of how Governor Kemp will do things differently in a second term. The way I look at it from where I sit is I think he's just going to stick with the formula that got him here. Tax cuts, rebates, large economic development uh, projects, but also mixing in social issues, um, you know, whether it's abortion or or other issues that he thinks works. I, I don't know why he would go away from that formula. Well, then,
2: well, listen, the first formula <laughs> it deals with the budget. That's the first thing. But, uh, Raul, let me stay with, you, stay with you for a moment because uh, as you listen to what the governor said and then the budget and then all up to now we've been hearing about this great surplus that the state has. Uh, as it relates to the budget, was there anything that stood out to you that Kemp talked about?
1: It's not just Governor Kemp. Mm-hmm. It is, so since the last time we all talked, there is so much conversation about housing. There's so much conversation about housing in those areas where these plants will be built. For example, the Lake Oconee area where they're building the Rivian plant. You know, where are you going to house these workers and these folks that are going to be working in these plants? But also conversations, and you've had these conversations, about, you know, corporations coming in and buying homes and then turning around and renting them. Mm -hmm. Also, this idea of developers building full-size neighborhoods with single-family homes that are all going to be for rent. Those are some of the conversations that that are jumping out at me, not just from the governor, but from other people up here at the state capitol. And I think the other thing, and and Sam can talk about this, a lot of discussion about electric vehicles. Mm -hmm.
6: Sam. Yeah. I mean, one thing Kemp noted in his uh, inaugural address is he wants to see Georgia become the electric mobility capital by the end of his second term, something that we know many states, not just Georgia, are vying for that
1: title. Are they going to give folks tax credits? (laughs) Because that might be an incentive. Uh, I think think that's definitely going to be on the table. There's absolutely, for for people who may not remember, there used to be a state tax credit for EVs, and that went away. That definitely, I think, is something that could be Uh, On the table, along with, you know, you know, for those who are EV drivers who are in our audience, they know they pay a $200 fee. Uh, That fee was meant to offset, you know, not paying gas tax. But that frustrates some EV users. And there's some discussion on on what to do about that, along with what to do about the gas tax. Sam, what are you hearing any reaction from lawmakers yet? Well, One thing that we haven't
6: talked about yet that Kemp didn't really mention in his speech this week but is in this budget that we've been parsing through this morning is the intention you asked about this last week to move ahead with the partial Medicaid expansion Mm -hmm. that the Kemp administration has been pushing for a while, Uh, this Georgia Pathways program. There's funding for that in the state budget. just to remind listeners, this is not a full Medicaid expansion like most every other state has done. It includes a work requirement, uh, which had been the subject to a lot of legal back and forth over the last couple of years. Uh, And we have heard some reaction to that already, at least from the Democratic side. Uh, Our WAB colleague, uh, Jess Mador, uh, had a conversation with House Minority Leader James Beverly Mm -hmm. uh, this afternoon. And uh, let me just look at my notes here. He said, it's just too little. And he said, it is a dereliction of duty on behalf of the governor to still not go ahead with fully expanding Medicaid because this new program will cover some more people, but far fewer than if the governor had done this traditional full Medicaid expansion. In other like words, don't have. just
2: give us a little, give us a lot. Give yeah. us everything that we could possibly get.
6: Unlikely, but yes.
2: Uh, you know, I love to always end on casinos because, you know, it's just, I feel like every year we talk about casinos, but uh, what are we hearing? And sports betting
1: I- and horse racing and all of that i think the most interesting thing and i i've mentioned this before was i was going to watch what happens with the committees and i think it's very clear that there's there's been an effort looking at some of the committees and how they were formed and who the members are that there's going to be a specific committee over in the state senate that's going to take up gambling legislation and so and this is just you know from from just guessing and reading the tea leaves i think gambling is going to have a slightly easier path over in the state senate, at least to start. Oh, what do you
2: think, Sam?
6: I mean, one thing that we know is that to do this gambling in whatever form, still a lot of open questions to address as we've discussed, but it'll likely require a constitutional amendment, which requires high threshold in both chambers uh, under the gold dome. and to just get it to voters, which wouldn't happen until 2024.
2: Wow, interesting. WAB politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bali, as always, I appreciate you all taking the time. Week one, how many more weeks left?
6: I counted. I think it's like nine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sam's ready for crossover day.
6: <laughs> which is going to be very early. Sam Mar- like, six. yes, get this over with. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Rose. Stay warm, everybody. All right.
2: And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. You may recall last year when Atlanta-based Delta Airline pilots threatened a full-on strike if a new contract couldn't be agreed upon. Well, Delta Airlines offered a 34% cumulative pay increase to the pilots over three years. Now, a strike would have been costly for Delta Airlines, but also consider this. The U.S. alone has been experiencing an overall pilot shortage for a few years now and increasing the pilot pipeline if you will within the aviation industry is the focus of several organizations and that includes the brock foundation which is also focusing on introducing and teaching black teens how to fly in order to become pilots and i'm joined now by omar brock founder and chair of the foundation and a current pilot for a major airline omar welcome
0: hello rose thank you so much for having me i
2: appreciate it how long have you been flying I have been flying now for about five and a half years. Can you take me back to the the first time you were you were at the controls and what prayer did you say?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So to be honest, um, I have always been uh, afraid of heights. So, um, you know, my first discovery flight was uh, interesting to say the least. Um, I was living in Los Angeles at the time and my wife actually uh, bought me my first Discovery flight when Mm -hmm. I was considering uh, becoming a pilot and uh, she paid for it, I took her up on it um, and my first flight was over Santa Monica. And to my left, there's nothing but buildings. And then to my right, there's nothing but the ocean. So um, being afraid of heights, um, it was nerve wracking. And of course, general aviation planes are a little bit tight and you're much closer to everything. So I was afraid, but... Ultimately, I got over that fear of heights um, and, you know, I've been flying ever since.
2: I got to tell you, Omar, that is one way to get over your fear of of heights is to to become a pilot is to fly. But there is there's a joy, there's a passion that you have about it now, right?
0: Absolutely. It is. um, How do I describe my love for flying um, is it's nothing like it, in my opinion. Um, It's the one place that I can escape to, that um, I enjoy doing, where I can just be at peace. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a a sense of peace that comes with flying. And being able to share that with others is uh, a passion um, like no other for me.
2: And I've had conversations on this very program about getting more youth involved, getting more kids of color just exposed to it? Because right now, and you know this, there just aren't, there is a huge disparity, a huge gap when it comes to uh, black pilots in general. Um, And I've heard people say, well, it's access, it's the cost involved. Um, How do you see in explaining that
0: gap? That is um, 100% correct. Um, So, We can associate usually the lack of uh, minorities engaging the idea of aviation to be associated with the lack of mentorship, um, obviously the lack of resources and the exposure. So part of what we do at the foundation is we go into communities um, of color around the United States and we first create the exposure Mm -hmm. because, you know, I think uh, viola davis said it best and i use this quote a lot but she was asked um you know why does representation matter and her response was you need to see a physical manifestation of your dream Mm -hmm. and that's absolutely spot on because for me ultimately i became a pilot later on in life but i probably would have engulfed on this um, endeavor sooner had i seen a pilot who looked Mm -hmm. like me carrying out the career field, and that might have got my wheels turning and uh, inspired me to embark on this journey sooner. So um, we aim to get out there, be the representation and create options for minority youth all over the U.S.
2: And I imagine this is at the core of why you wanted to found the the, the Brock Foundation.
0: Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. 100 um, percent. We started the foundation in 2020. And obviously, um, during this time, due to the racial injustice that we saw across, you know, the United States and the turmoil going on, mm-hmm. um for me, this generally started off with a post on Instagram. And I asked the general public in the Atlanta area if anyone wanted to expose their child to aviation. And for the next two months, November and December, I would be providing free flights and I got such an overwhelming response that for me, that was a nudge, um, you know, from God, so to speak to leap out there on faith and to, um, you know, help do my part to
2: mm-hmm. advance the next generation of minority aviators. And what do the kids, what do the youth ask you? And first of all, when they say, You're going to take us up and do what? <laughs> what are the questions yes. they have for you?
0: <laughs> well, they they ask a lot of questions that I would probably ask if I was a kid and I was uh, getting in a metal tube going through the sky. So um, there's definitely, um, you know, they ask, Are we safe? Uh, they ask, <laughs> They say, oh, um, Mr.
2: Omar, do you know what you're doing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they do. And they ask, where's the nearest exit? All of those things. But those are great questions. And, you know, it's our job to make them feel comfortable. Um, Flying is, you know, in fact, safer than driving in a car. So um, we just put their their minds at ease and we let them enjoy flight. And they usually get comfortable and take in the experience.
2: And when you are t- talking to them about, hey, you can have a career in this field in aviation, whether it's a pilot or, or engineer or, or mechanical or have you, do you see a bit of a surprise and shock? And they say, wow, really? There are careers in this field? Absolutely. Um, so we
0: start off every event with a simple question of how many in our audience Uh, have seen a black pilot or a Spanish pilot Mm -hmm. or a minority pilot in general and uh, Across the board every event across the US we find that we may get one or two hands in Mm -hmm. a room of 50 to 100 and um, You know and and for me, that's It's shocking because well, it's not shocking and it is at the same time Um, I grew up around the corner from an airport and I never knew it was there. Um, I didn't take an interest in aviation because again, I just never saw a minority pilot. Mm -hmm. And, um, when we go out and we do these events, their eyes light up and you know, they do ask, Hey, can I do this? Is this possible? And you know, our response is,
2: Well, look at us. If we did it, you can. And so you've partnering with you you are partnering with Morrow High School. It's a kind of unique program to get kids up and flying. How does it work? Yes, yeah, so we're very excited about this
0: program. It is the first of its kind. It is a test program we have been able to successfully uh, receive a uh, Air Force waiver for the next two years to take sophomore students and by their senior year, uh, pretty much produce commercial pilots. Um, And this is in a JROTC structure. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're excited because, you know, once they graduate high school, they will literally have a commercial license. Um, They will be able to go out and get work if they so choose. They will be able to go on to the Air Force and be highly sought after because of those certificates and ratings. And if they choose to go on to college, uh, we've created we're creating such a uh, a pipeline, so to speak, so mm-hmm. they can go to those colleges and then get back to the major airlines. So we're super excited. It's the first of its kind, and we've been working hard at this for almost a year now. And we've been able to garner support where it's completely funded, and uh, the youth and their parents don't have to pay a dime.
2: Wow! And I imagine when they hear that, there's some excitement. Are you all able to track so far? And I know you just said you're 2020, and so you haven't been up up and, and running that that long. But are you are you able to track to see? Hey, you know what? We we can have some success here. There is this. It's effective. I mean, I don't know if you've produced any pilots yet, but you're on the you're on the pathway there.
0: Absolutely. So since 2020, um, we've traveled almost uh, 10 states um, repeatedly every year. Los Angeles, Alabama, Virginia, uh, Georgia, to name a few. And we've um, our impact in each of those states. We have impacted almost a thousand kids per state and in the school system itself, we have taken our time Mm -hmm. to create this program. So at first we focused on the exposure, and then we said, why not take it one step further? You can expose them, however, again, that's only part of the issue. We have to create the resources and Mm -hmm. give them the free ground school curriculum so they can advance. So since October, we have been in the classroom uh, Monday through Friday teaching our first uh, group of this test program, and I'm happy to say that they all are doing very well at this point, and they will be be progressing to the aircraft um, as early as February to actually take on the practical side of things, because for every certificate and rating, there's the educational portion, Mm -hmm. and then there's the practical side where they actually have to meet the FAA
2: standards uh, flying, so we
0: are excited.
2: And Omar, I have a question from a listener who asked, do the students have to be in a specific school or can they be a part of the foundation if they're not involved in, in a, a school that you all are in? How's it work? So
0: we are in uh, only Morrow High School right now in terms of the program, but we do offer our free curriculum um, to any that we engage. So with that being said, um, they can feel free to reach out via our website, and uh, we engage everyone all over the U.S. in terms of minority youth, and we give them the free tools that they need to start the educational portion. As we scale, obviously, we are setting things in place to be able to train all over the U.S., but obviously that is a, a process, sure. and um, we educate people of um, local um air clubs and things in their community to help them advance as well when they reach out and provide other resources like scholarships through partners, et cetera.
2: And Omar, uh, you talked about earlier, you talked about why you do this and the passion behind it. And then are you able to get other folks to come on board with your foundation? Cause you, the mission is simply, we want to get kids, kids of color, black teens up and flying.
0: Yes. Um, I think usually when I engage, um, people they get a sense of my passion for this and if they're not interested they usually get excited because i'm so excited about it Um, however um, we're always looking uh, for help as this is uh, not something that will happen overnight in terms of changing the 2.8 percent of representation that African American pilots make up of the pilot pool. So uh, I'm doing my best. I'm reaching out and working as hard as I can on behalf of minority youth everywhere. But again, I'm one man, and I'm trying to garner as many resources as possible. But uh, again, this is something dear to me, so I don't plan on letting up at all anytime soon.
2: All right, Omar Brock, founder and chair of the Brock Foundation, helping introduce youth kids of color to flying all right omar we appreciate you taking the time thank you for what you're doing for so many i would volunteer to go up with you but i'm gonna wait and hear what the kids have to say first <laughs> i'm just messing with you
0: <laughs> definitely i would love to take you up anytime and um if anyone wants to uh find out more information they can feel free to visit our website at www.thebrockfoundationinc.com and also, we'll have a uh, link
2: there as well so yeah thank you thank and you we're so much for support all thank right. you thank you omar
7: The very root of love is the power of redemption. You just keep loving people. Keep loving them, even though they are mistreated. Keep loving them. Don't do anything to.
2: The song is Show Love, and it was inspired by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Otis Redding, of course, both with Georgia ties. It was written, performed, and produced by students from the Otis Music Camp while they were socially distant in 2020. In the song, you can, of course, hear portions of Dr. King's 1957 sermon at Dexter Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, where he organized the 1956 bus boycott. There's something about
7: hate that passed down and is destructive.
2: Now, Otis Redding's widow, Zelma, applauds the song, saying the music legend believed in letting young people grow through music. And also, construction on the Otis Redding Center for the Arts in Macon is expected to be completed by the end of the year. You know, there is no official soundtrack to the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, but we know there are surely signature songs that capture the mission of the movement. And one of those people behind that is an incredible artist, legendary Curtis Mayfield. And so from our award-winning 2018 series, atl 68, I had the opportunity to spend some time with Mayfield's widow, Altidia Mayfield, about her husband's legacy and making songs of the civil rights movement. So we pick up the conversation with Mrs. Mayfield talking about living in Chicago and the influence of civil rights activists. As the civil rights movement was gearing up, and it had been happening really since the death of, of Emmett Till, but in the height of the civil rights movement, can you recall the the influence of Dr. King, not only on Curtis, but on you and the and the Chicago area? What was that like?
3: It was a very deep feeling. Um, Chicago seemed to be the home base for a lot of things starting. I don't know why, or maybe I was just there and didn't notice the rest of the world. But it seems like uh, everything was happening in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali. Yeah, I mean, um, just young kids, just coming up and just starting. Uh, it was a time that, I guess, as I look back to it, I get memories of joy and pain, mm-hmm. because things were so different there. Uh, back into that time, it was nothing to be around and or young and, you know. Or maybe you were just in the circle that you uh, you knew them all.
2: So they were just all there—the the the core of the group that we know.
3: The core John of John Lewis,
2: yeah. Andrew Young, Jesse Jackson, Coretta right. Martin, Dorothy Cotton, Ralph
3: Abernathy—all of them. Right. They were. Um, I don't know. It just this was just Chicago, or like I say, maybe it was just at the time and the people that I was around. Um, I started working for this guy, who had our first black nightclub, mm-hmm. that started Al Jarrah uh Ponciana, So that kind of threw me in the midst of um of that civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. I think a little deeper than a lot of other people.
2: What was the influence of Dr. King on Curtis? He
3: was more, um, I don't know, he just stepped out. He he was real, how do you say, he had deep feelings, Mm -hmm. very, very deep feelings to be so young. It didn't seem like there was a lot of um, laughter within him. He seemed more into thought, more into, I think he felt that segregation a little bit harder than other people. Uh, because of his looks, he's short, um, he lived in poverty, mm-hmm. and these things about him made him very, very serious-minded a lot of times. I can remember a lot of times once um, once I started being friends with him, Fred, Sam, there was um, Lenny and Billy who played uh, bass guitar mm-hmm. and drums behind him. He would spend a lot of time at, um, at Lake Michigan up on 39th Street where he would sit, and it was almost like he would be in meditation watching the water and listening to the water hit the bricks or the rocks when mm-hmm. he would come up, and very, very serious. Every now and then you could get a laugh out of him, but most of the time he was in deep thought.
2: Did you ever ask him about that? Did you ever say, Curtis, what what are you thinking about when you're there? No, because I was quiet,
3: too. <laughs> I was shy and quiet. So um, I used to sit. I used to think that's the reason sometimes he would come get me because I didn't have too much to say either. that left him that time to be into his meditation. Um, not a lot mm-hmm. of... Uh, getting in his business, and less blah, 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 you know. <laughs> I guess like most girls, I'd just sit there, and I'd watch him mm-hmm. as he would sit there and, and watch the water.
2: Where were you all on April 4th, 1968?
3: I was at home that day. I don't know really where Curtis were. <gasps> Fred and Sam said it was they were supposed to meet Dr. Martha Luther King the next day. In Memphis? Yeah, in Memphis, and... They were excited about it, I I do know that. So I imagine it was devastating to them to uh, see that he got killed just, you know, the day before they were to meet him.
2: Did Curtis ever talk about the assassination of Dr. King and what what it did, I mean, emotionally, what it did to him?
3: No, like I said, Curtis was quite quiet at times.
2: Sounds like he kept a lot inside.
3: Yeah, he did he did that's the reason he spent that time meditating he had a struggle to become Curtis Mayfield the impressions had a struggle mm-hmm. and that struggle I think for a young kid his age and where he was coming from was deeply embedded inside of him but they became so huge and so popular was but he, it too much was it overwhelming you think for him I know he worked for it, mm-hmm. but he went through a lot of trials and tribulations to get there. You have to remember when they did For Your Precious Love. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't remember the name of the record company, but they had signed him and signed thin Impressions with Jerry and later tore up his contract. And he came back in. I mean, it's a struggle what he did.
2: The voice you hear is uh, Althea Mayfield. She is the widow and wife of Curtis Mayfield. And it's interesting that you bring that up because I want you to listen to this. It's from the documentary Moving On Up, The Music and Message of Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions. And he's talking about the importance of black artists owning their own songs.
5: Right. Well, you know, sometimes I ask myself, uh, especially when I was younger, uh, why wasn't more people... And being black myself, especially black people, trying to own as much of themselves as possible. And what I mean by that, through understanding their talents and hopefully collaborating and starting publishing companies and dealing with a little bit of distribution and even uh, owning record companies. I started a Curtin Publishing at 17, which was unheard of then. I mean, uh, I didn't mind sharing with the other publisher, but they just couldn't understand why would I even want to do that rather than give give it all to them, you know. It doesn't hurt to have little money in your pocket while you're smiling and grinning on television.
2: Ms. Mayfield, did Curtis own most of his songs? Did he own the publishing rights?
3: He held on to as much as possible. He told me when he walked in, he asked about the publishing. Mm-hmm. The lady laughed at him and asked him, what do you know about any publishing? I mean, he was constantly being struck in the face with prejudice.
2: And not to cut you off, because you've continued, your family, you all have continued to have to fight for some things after his death, too. Oh, so right. as of right now, you all own... <laughs> <laughs> you all, you're <laughs> laughing at me. I hate to ask the question, uh, but are you
3: still fighting? For, are you still? Fight? I'm still fighting. I'm still in court. But these are his published.
2: De- Ugh, I know it's a whole nother subject. Yeah, Curtis Metfield's son che is in the studio with us. He's looking at me like, please don't even go down that road. But right, yeah, you know, that's got to be agonizing for you.
3: That was one of the roughest things that I think between taking care of a quadrupedic. By myself. And then after he dying, to see his stuff, sold and going after it. And I was determined this time, no. Yeah. No. Everybody told me I had a fight with the UCC. And they told me there was no way I could win because it was in New York. New York has uh, Wall Street's in New York. They don't let you win against Spinks. Mm -hmm. but I won. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, after Curtis
2: was paralyzed in that that accident, um, it it didn't stop him. But, and that leads me to this, because I want to talk about the making of his final album, New World Order, and and I want to listen to the title song here for a second.
7: no longer a child is born mother shed tears of joy as baby tests his lungs my daddy's not there where he ought to be so we're in georgia skinning and shooting craps on his knees another victim born out here in the hood and based on statistics it really ain't all good Welfare takes the town and daddy can't sign and it can't be seen. The family becomes a crime. The hunt is on and brother, you're the prey. Serving time in jail, it just ain't the way. I'm living so hard, baby that my hair's gray. We got to make a change. It's a brand new day.
2: Now, the arrangement, familiar, has a signature, soulful, powerful liv- lyrics. But Mrs. Mayfield, the making of this album is extraordinary in itself because Curtis recorded this song
3: lying on his back because right. of the accident. So he was in a lot of pain, too. They say quadriplegics don't have pain. They're not supposed to uh, feel because of the neck. The neck is injured. That sends in, up mm-hmm. the signal to to your brain, where you get that it tells you you're hurt. But what they don't tell you is that some way or another, and I finally found it out. I didn't know it then. Mm -hmm. Some way or another, he was in constantly pain. I am just now, because afterwards, in order to pull myself together, I kind of went off into studying Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. And I am beginning to find out What really is the pain that they're getting is when they find a mummy and they start going in and unwrapping that mummy, Mm -hmm. you can actually see the energy shooting up in from it. That's the pain that quadriplegics stay in. You're injured, but energy is still stored there, and that energy comes back off and it reflects into them a sensation. Each one has a different one, I think. Most of them had it in their feet or their mm-hmm. legs. Curtis had it in his hands.
2: As he was making this album, and you saw this, you saw him recording lying flat on his back, did you, did you try to tell him to slow down, take it easy? He did it the mm-hmm. way he normally would do. He rearranged everything. He did it his way.
3: No, I... Brought Curtis home from Shepherds, which is a great spinal. One of our only, I think, spinal cord hospitals. I bit off more than I could chew, cause my babies, they're babies. Mm-hmm. I think he's about eight, nine. Mm-hmm. My baby's five. And when you love somebody and they're injured, you jump in and you do too much, Absolutely. and you forget that you got to keep doing this. <laughs> you know, it's no stopping. And about two weeks of it, I'm like shaking my head. I can't, you know, something's got to change. We got to, we got to change something here. So I had to go in and tell him, "You are gonna have to start back working. I can't keep up. I can't hold up." All oh, the frustration there. He was mad. He, I stood there. He called me every name he could think of, but I told somebody, I said, as he did, it dawned in my head, man, is still creative, because mm-hmm. he hasn't lost it. No. He hasn't lost it. I don't think he realized that he did, <laughs> that he did. Did he, did he come back and say, well, thank you
2: for pushing me back out there?
3: No, no. <laughs> I um sat there. He started calling me names. I just stood there. And then I started thinking, because in my head I was thinking, he was calling me all kinds of bitches, and I was being my head thinking. In his final months there,
2: did you notice a change in him? Did you notice something?
3: I should have, but I love Curtis a lot. I should have noticed that he was leaving, but I didn't. Um... I noticed he would go back into talking about a lot of old things, but in my mind, as it was going on, I couldn't put my mind into thinking of losing him.
2: You remember your final moments with him when he was alive?
3: They were in the hospital, and he he said some very, as Curtis would, some very deep things. He told me he loved me three times. Then he told me, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be me because he was injured. And he said, you allowed me to be who I am. You never, char- you know, I never changed him. And he thanked me for it. Then his eyes went to batten out. And it was like, okay, um, I was the body shutting down. I got up and left because I said, I can't go no farther. Mm-hmm. This was it. But those were the last things he said. He said uh, three times he told me he loved me. You know, he loved me. Then he told me, you know, he knew the changes I was going through, and I never too much said anything back to him. I either just was quiet and... He thanked me for allowing him. Because, like I said, I could have walked out when he was cursing me out. It didn't bother me. I stood there. I stood there. I didn't have to stand there because I had a point I wanted to get across to him. Mm -hmm. When having that point, he knew a lot of times I could have walked, but I stood.
2: You think about him every day, don't you?
3: (laughs) Yeah. I know you do. You have a favorite song? Uh, I always tell everybody the makings of you. I've got a lot of his songs I like, but for some reason, the makings of you and the music, just the conception of the music in it and the words always touch my heart very, very deeply. Well, we're going to go out on one of my favorite songs.
2: (laughs) 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 was just People Get Ready, but Mrs. Mayfell. I just want to thank you for coming in and taking the time. And I appreciate you and oh, everything you shared you. today about your
3: husband. Thank you very much.
7: People get ready, a From 2018,
2: a conversation with Althidia Mayfield, widow of legendary Curtis Mayfield. And Mrs. Mayfield passed away. In June of 2021, she was 76 years old. Now, there's a lot more from our ATL 68 series. All you have to do is visit mlk.wabe.org. Again, that's mlk.wabe.org.
7: Keep on pushing. I've got to keep on pushing. Mm-hmm. I can't stop now.
2: and that's it for this edition Closer Look is produced by LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair Tiffany Griffith is our supervising producer our engineer is Kevin Rinker A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other send me an email rose at wabe.org and of course if you missed any of today's program it's always online wabe.org slash closer look and of course Closer Look weeknights at 7pm as well as in our podcast so yeah, subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott.
7: I know I can make it With just a little bit of soul Cause I've got my strength And it don't make sense Not to keep on pulling. Now look
4: Hey, y'all. I'm Mark Kendall.
6: And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run
5: down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be
6: journalists, we are comedians. And we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig.
3: Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm.
4: (laughs) W-A-B-E.